Welcome to the My Teaching Matters podcast, where our mission is to help you, the intentional parent, to teach your children in such a way that they can personally experience the power of Jesus Christ while still at home. ago, my husband and I spent the night at his brother's home. He and his wife invited us to join them the next morning for their early morning scripture study. So the next morning, we got up and joined the family, and we each took turns reading a few verses from the assigned Come Follow Me uh, reading topic. But after the reading, something magical happened. His wife asked a question. The question she asked was not how did the Spirit speak to Oliver Cowdery? Nor was it, what are the different ways the Spirit can speak to us? But instead she asked, what experiences have you had where the Holy Ghost has spoken to you? Wow. That was a power-packed question. That one question spurred a discussion that continued far longer than it should have, as some of the kids had to get ready for school. But Each of us shared and listened to each other's experiences, and all of us were edified. This experience reinforced the idea to me that not all questions are created equal. How can we turn an average question into a powerful question, a question that will help us strengthen our testimonies, a question that will help deepen those roots down deep into our hearts so that we can truly become more converted? What are the principles around questions that I need to understand to help me ask better questions? In today's episode, Keith Johnson, the very brother-in-law in whose home we stayed, shares his journey of how he learned to harness the power of questions and how we, in turn, can learn to use these same principles to improve our question asking. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the My Teaching Matters podcast. I am your host, Leslie Johnson, and I'm here today with my guest, Keith Johnson. Hi, how are you guys? So I have known Keith for a lot of years. In fact, I ended up marrying his brother, hence we both have the last name Johnson. But I have invited Keith to join us today because I have always appreciated Keith's thinking and his ability to draw out good discussions when we were in a group. And as I was talking to him, I realized that he had a very similar journey to my own, and he was very passionate about the way he teaches. He feels very strongly about lecturing and or not lecturing and preaching, um, and that's not the most effective way to, to teach. And he has a great desire to help others see the power that can come as we teach using the Savior's way. And so Keith was a little bit nervous to join us today because he's our first male on this um, podcast. And uh, so we have a lot of firsts today. But Keith, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about the journey that you've taken. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to do that. I I am nervous, as as you surmised. I do listen to the podcast and have enjoyed that, although I do believe I'm a minority uh, as a as a guy listening to it, but I've enjoyed it and I'm learning from it, and so for that I'm grateful. Uh, I'm 52 years old, and I grew up in the church. I grew up in Central Utah, but uh, 
shortly after marrying my wonderful wife, we moved to Minnesota and spent about 15 or 16 years in the Midwest. And then two years ago, we moved back to Utah. We actually live in Manaway. Uh, we found as cold a place as we could in Utah so that I could still play in the wintertime and enjoy the cold weather. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's just a brief explanation of me. I have five children. Uh, the oldest is 26 and the youngest is 17. Awesome. They are some great kids, too. So, Keith, tell us, um, you know, you were telling me as we were talking before um, a little bit about your journey of um, how you began to reevaluate the way that you prepared lessons. And I would love to have you share um, that story again with our audience about just kind of your paradigm shift on what it meant to really prepare and teach a lesson. For years, it was uh, using a word you used early on, preaching and just uh, lecturing. And I grew up in that role. But but our parents or my parents taught us that it was okay to raise your hand and ask questions. And so I've I've always enjoyed questions. And sometimes it was actually a game for me to try and divert the teacher to uh, some other topic or certainly something I was more interested than what they were lecturing on. <laughs> and I'm sure that made a number of my teachers a little upset. In fact, I know that was the case growing up and in even high school and colleges and in church settings or school settings. That's just a nature that, that I've worked on, and it's a part of me. But a few years ago, uh, the church came out with the teaching in the Savior's way, and they sent out some training videos, and one of them was from President Eyring. And it's only about three minutes long, and it really changed how I thought about this. I listened to it many times, and uh, it continues. Whenever I prepare a lesson, I think back to that three-minute video, and it was about really searching for the right kinds of questions that would get the audience or the, the students that you're, you're in front of thinking and feeling themselves as opposed to just absorbing information as you uh, send it out to them. Yeah, I, I took the opportunity to watch that video as well. And it really is very well done. And I loved um, how they talked about um, the type of questions that we ask and how there were different types of questions that would lead to different end results. And um, how did so tell me a little bit what it was that you learned from this video and how it influenced your idea of teaching. There were a couple of points in the video. One of them uh was just a simple question, and uh, President Eyring asked asked this question: How is it, or how is a true prophet recognized? A simple question, and you get just some simple answers. But he said, if you just change a couple of words and inflection points, you get a whole different uh, a response. When have you felt that you were in the presence of a prophet? And that, again, just blew my mind, really. And, and from that, I went on some quest. In fact, I asked my, at that point, eight or ten-year-old daughter, Grace, to highlight through Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke, and John every question mark in the scriptures with a bright yellow highlighter. And uh, I paid her some money to do that so that I didn't have to. And then afterwards, I went and I read through every one of the questions, and I tried to figure out what kind of questions Jesus was asking. 
and what were the responses that came from them. And that was just really, I had a lot of fun with that and uh, came across some really good examples. Um, so that's, that was part of my journey. Uh, do you want me to go to the next level, which is I, I then read some, some more literature about it and came up I, with four did, levels of communication. I, I love that. But let me ask you a question first, Keith. What was it that when you started this, what were you hoping to find? I mean, when you obviously you knew from listening to that little video that there was something about questions that were was very powerful. And so what were you hoping to find when you started this quest of, of marking all of the questions that you could find in the book of, or in the, in the New Testament, I guess it was? Well, I, I, I don't know what I really wanted. What, I, I know what I wanted, but I, it was an unreal expectation, which is I wanted to see five or six or seven perfect examples where Jesus asked a series of questions with, with them just all just amazing stories that brought out the best. And in fact, I think there's one clearly my favorite, and, and that's when Jesus is asking his apostles, who do you think? Or The first question was, what do people say that I am? And the apostles start answering the question. And to me, it's a, it's a simple question. And they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're other people. But then he gets serious and Jesus says, well, whom do ye say that I am? And it just feels so different, that question. Instead of asking some fact-filled, give me some facts, he asks feeling. And mm. that's when Peter says, thou art the Christ. And to me, that just changed my whole world. When I saw the difference in that simple question, what do people think? Give me some facts, give me some data, to what do you think? How do you feel? And that is teaching in the Savior's way. If we can do that, we get people to quit regurgitating just data, but getting into their soul and, and reaching into that. And that's where I think real teaching can happen. And testimonies are born when they start searching their soul for these kinds of feelings and thoughts. I totally agree. I totally agree. When when we start searching our own soul and start to understand what we think and what we feel, that's when we open the door for the Spirit to testify of truth to ourselves. Um, and so that is where real learning happens. So, so Keith, let's back up then and tell me, tell us a little bit about the second half then of the the experience that you had. So I, I continued to study this, and I had my long list of questions from the, the Gospels and the Bible, but then I did some more searching and found another article that helped me really put this into not just asking questions, but it, it expanded into communication. And, and I modified it to fit how I think about this, and, and then I actually started teaching this as a four levels of communication. And so... Very simply, in, in my world, every type of communication is one of four levels. And I'll just give you some simple examples. The first level is acknowledgement. And far and away, the most asked question on earth is, how are you? 
Mm-hmm. And it's just an acknowledgement that you're there. It's a good question, but there's no depth to it. And in fact, it drives people crazy if you answer that question with anything other than, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> so let me just tell you a little thing here. That is very American. I actually found that when we were living in um, Hungary, when you asked the question, how are you doing or how are you, they thought you really meant you really wanted to know how they were doing. And they would go into quite a long explanation of how they were really doing. And I had to learn to modify that question just a little bit, because I really, that wasn't really the question I wanted an answer to. And so... Yeah. So uh, anyway, but yeah, so for for us here in, in the U.S., that is just, we're just kind of acknowledging their presence. And it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but to me, that's level one. It's just acknowledgement. Level two is more about facts and knowledge and information. The question is, what is this? In scripture orders or in a, in a Sunday school class, it's Who knows the answer to who is speaking in this scripture? Mm. Or will somebody tell me what that scripture is about? Just who's willing to repeat facts and data? Level two. And I think that that is where a lot of teachers spend their time, right? They're they're trying to uh, teach information um, that is found within the scriptures. And they... so. We can spend a lot of time in that section, too, with just facts and information if we allow ourselves to. And Zoom makes that incredibly challenging. It Mm -hmm. drives me crazy on a Zoom meeting where a teacher will ask an audience through Zoom a, a level two question. Because very few people, it's a simple question. Everyone on in the Zoom class can answer it but nobody is going to want to. And so in my world, if you're teaching and you're asking a level two question, don't ask for a volunteer, ask somebody, because everybody can answer those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. But that to me is level two. Want me to go to level three? You bet. Level three are the feeling ones. And to me, this is, this is where Jesus asked, but whom do ye say that I am? So these are the feeling questions, the why questions. How do you think about this? What are your feelings and your thoughts on this? How do you react after you've heard such and such? So level three is where you get personal. And, and those, that's where the personal stories come out. That's where people start sharing bits of themselves. And, and even in sacrameting talks, People can tell a story, but when they start telling a story about themselves, there's always a different feeling. And to me, that's when the lessons get rich, level Mm -hmm. three. Yeah, I think that that is where we start to connect because we start to understand people as people will open up and tell us something personable or personal about themselves. Um, People do. They kind of get on the edge of their seat. They want to hear what somebody has to say. They want to understand people better. They want to know this person who's telling this story. And and I think that that makes um, a sense of um, connection or a sense of unity as we begin to share personal insights or personal um, experiences that we've had. Yeah. 
Level four, the final one, is, is where a teacher can really connect personally. And so this is, to me, the connecting threads where you take that personal moment that that person has shared and you don't one-up them. That's terrible. But what you do is connect something that you have inside of you to what they have shared and then you connect on a different level with that person and, and to me that's where the real value I mean three and four is where I love to live and that's where to me the best teaching takes place where you get the feelings out and then as a teacher you can insert thoughts or you can link other people together but you're linking oh I know sister so-and-so she has a similar thought about this would you mind sharing because uh, Sally over here has just uh, brought up something and you know that they're going to be able to link so that's level four I love that you know when um, I remember when um, Brett and I lived in Boston and we went we were going to a student ward of of these masterminds it was such a it was really kind of a um, humbling circumstance because we were going to school with these people from Harvard and uh, MIT and uh, these, you know, really smart people. And I was, would sit in this Sunday school class and just did, wouldn't dare say a thing because that's not my level of thinking. But there was a Sunday school teacher who was so good at making you feel like whatever you shared was the most important thing in the world. And she had a great ability to, like you said, connect what you said with something that somebody else said or to restate what you said in such a way that you felt like you had just made a great contribution to to this society that you were a part of. And she had the most... Um, interaction and the best lessons of, that I had ever had up until that point. She was very good at this. And I think that as um, as a parent or as a teacher, if we can make the person that is sharing feel like you value their input, that you value what they're, they're saying, that you can help create some links, um, that just is like a reward for adding more to this rich um study that you're already having. And it really is a great, great way to include more people and to make those connections that, that you're talking about. I, I agree. I, I think if, if you can do that linking, and sometimes it's personal, but hopefully more times than not, it's, it's linking the, the class members together, especially mm -hmm. if they're younger. If you can teach them to, that they can be friends and connect at a different feeling level as opposed to just data and facts. We know they both like basketball. Yeah, that's interesting. But if you can get a level three connection between two people that they both feel the same about some gospel topic, that they're both really interested in prayer or something like that, that that's gold from a spiritual perspective. I agree. I agree. So what is it that you learned through this process then, Keith, of, of learning more about the importance of questions and then even just in your communication style, like you say, these four different levels of communication and how we can really connect the deeper that we go. What, what have you found and what have you um, learned about how to implement that? 
Well, I, because I'm a simple guy and I, I can count to four, nearly everything I think about, especially when I'm here in a, in a lesson, I, my mind immediately says, that was a level two question. That's another level two question. That's all we've done through this whole meeting is level two questions. And so unfortunately, that's when I get a little frustrated. But when I get one of these classes where they're always in these level threes and level fours where we're feeling I'm engaged, I'm excited. And so I, it's to me very easy to see the differences. So the bad news, Leslie, is that I constantly think about it. <laughs> the good news is that when I have chances to facilitate, I work really hard at getting as quickly as I can through levels one and two and spend nearly my whole class time in levels three and four. I'm not suggesting that levels one and two aren't important. They are critically important, but you can deal with them in just a few moments. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's the grounding, that's the context. That's, hey, here's what we're going to be doing. It's just dispensing the facts, but then you can really get into the spiritual aspects of a lesson. So that's how I think about it and how I prepare. I spend a lot of time. In an earlier couple of weeks ago uh, podcast, you actually uh, made the comment that you like to spend uh, a large percentage of your time getting the questions right as you're preparing a lesson to teach. Mm -hmm. And I really like your point. I think that's, that's really where I spend my time. Personally, I love history, and so I always do a context overview. In a minute, two minutes at the most, if I don't do it, I ask somebody to say, all right, what are we talking about? What's the broad historical view of what this lesson is uh, covering? But that's level two, and we just get it out of the way so that everybody's level set, and then we, then we go after those questions that you and I have prepared. I love it. I love it. So we actually just listened to uh, you actually... Uh, sent me a link to a, a podcast that I thought was absolutely fabulous. And uh, this podcast was um, was um, interviewing a woman named Deanna Murphy. And she talked about how we can still have these type of questions done even through Zoom. So Zoom makes it harder because we can't see people. We're not there to really um, engage physically. But she was saying, you know, we can still ask these questions. So tell us a little bit about just really quickly about some of the ideas that she gave us about getting to those level two and level three questions. Okay. So, um, I, and I want to just uh, do a shout out. It's from Leading Saints is the podcast and the interviewer was Kurt Frankham. The person that was interviewed, as you said, is Deanna Murphy. And a uh, shout out there. She's from Minnesota. So that makes it even better. Yeah. But uh, what she does, and it's, it's rather quick and, and careful, but she says in 30 minutes, you just don't have the, a lot of time to cover a lot of topics. And so from her perspective, what you do is you go through all of the lesson material and you identify either a paragraph or, and it's got to be a small paragraph or some t couple of verses and get them typed up and put on your screen so that people don't have to go somewhere else, but they can immediately just read off their screen those paragraphs. And then her, to me, level three clever response is, 
She asks somebody to read that and then tells everybody in the chat window, will you please type one phrase or one word that you feel really hits your heart? And to me, that's almost the perfect question and can never be wrong. What you're asking them to do is share their feelings, what struck you, they can type it in, and uh, it's never wrong. Mm-hmm. And what you've done to me from a Zoom perspective is you've brought people into the class quickly. As a teacher, then, you read all of these different uh, comments that have come in through the chat window, and, and you can start using names. Well, Brent said love was his favorite word, and Leslie, her favorite phrase was this. And so you're starting to share names and put and making and you're getting the class involved. And as you're doing this, you're praying silently saying, which of these do we need to really work on or or, or spend some time on? And then you say, hey, Brent, will you please unmute your your uh, computer and share with us why you wrote that down? What are your feelings and thoughts on that? And then immediately you've got your level three question. And Brent shares his feelings and his thoughts. And then you start letting that go. Hopefully other people have some thoughts. You can start linking his thoughts to others that you know about. And you get a rich discussion. So to me, that was just a very simple way to make Zoom classes go really well. with, And that could work for adults. It can work for uh, youth. It gets them typing and gets them engaged. Right. Right. And everybody has to be engaged because everybody's supposed to say something. So they can't just pass it off to, to somebody else. But if you're if you're put with a partner or you're asked to type something in, then uh, you're right. Then you've got everybody's got to participate. And that makes a difference in, in people's engagement. So, Keith, one of the things that you made a comment about is as we do this and we start um, sharing our experiences, um, you made the comment that, that recognizing the spirit and, and telling everybody that the spirit's here now, um, you have some uh, opinions about how we can do that and, and make sure that, um, that we're handling that appropriately. What are your thoughts there? I want to back up and uh, get a little personal, level okay. three. Yep. I'm, I'm going to share, um, as I was growing up, I would hear teachers or the bishop or somebody over the pulpit say, the spirit is here, you better, not you better, but I feel the spirit is here. And my interpretation as a youth and even as adult sometimes is either he's screwed up or I'm screwed up because... I'm not feeling anything. And so to me, when, when that kind of a comment is felt or is said, it makes me question my own spirituality or my own ability to recognize and understand the spirit. And sometimes they're nice about it and sometimes they aren't. Some of the people over the pulpit or teaching saying, everybody feels the spirit now, I know that. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that's, those are scary statements to make as a teacher or a leader. And so I'm, I try and be a little more careful with that. And I can say, 
I personally feel really good right now, but maybe the students are daydreaming. Maybe I was daydreaming. Maybe I've got a problem that I'm dealing with and I'm not listening. And, and so to me, it's, it's almost not fair to make those kinds of broad statements that the Spirit's here and you better feel it or you've got a problem. Rarely do people say it that strongly, but often we will take it that strongly and walk away feeling worse, not better. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I, I totally understand what you're saying because I've experienced that. But I've also thought about the other side, how we've been asked to try to help, like teach our children to recognize when they are feeling the spirit. And um, so how can we kind of reconcile these two ideas of how do we help teach people to recognize when the spirit is speaking to them? And how can we, you know, not shove it down their throat? But I mean, even Jesus pointed out to Peter that, you know, this is a, the spirit who testified to you mm-hmm. that I am the Christ. So, you know, there's a time and a place for that. But how, how do we know what that is? Well, I, and I'm not, I, I think Jesus did it perfectly right. Who am I to judge anyway? But, but I think that that is a really good example where two people connected, engaged, level three question or level three answer, thou art the Christ. Jesus, a level four response as he confirms that it is from the spirit and connects the two together. So to me, that's a really good example but to, but specifically answering your question, I think it goes back to questions. And that is letting people start feeling that themselves. Well, how do you feel right now? And letting them come up with it. You can go to Galatians chapter 5 or you can go to any number of the scriptures and say, are these the feelings you are feeling? Because... According to this scripture, that means you're feeling the Spirit. Or, in my mind, better yet, go back about five or six podcasts and listen to your interview with that lady that has 55 different reasons (laughs) or ways to feel the Spirit. So I think there are lots of different ways to do it, but I would rather have them come to that conclusion themselves. How do you feel? And, and, And then to me, it's even far more powerful. If they acknowledge that, way better than me telling them they're feeling it. I think you have just very well um, iterated how that is to happen. Because, again, back to kind of just all this that we've been talking about, we're trying to get away from telling people or giving them information or telling them what to think or how to feel and have them express for themselves what they're thinking or what they're feeling. And that is the more powerful teaching method Um, And so I love how you talk about, you know, let them express their own thoughts. And sometimes even the expression of what they're thinking can allow the, the Holy Ghost to testify that what they're saying is true. And then that might be when they feel the Spirit, is actually when they're trying to articulate what they're thinking or what they're feeling. They're like, oh, wow, that is true, what I just said. Um, But we can't we can't do that for them. It has, that's the role of the Holy Ghost. And even Christ allowed the Holy Ghost to testify of his divinity to Peter. He did not take over that role. And it's not our role to, 
to teach or to lecture or to tell people how to feel. It's the, it's the role of the Holy Ghost to testify and teach of truth. And we just have to open those opportunities for that to happen. And, and when they, and to your point, when they are speaking and they're overpowered as they're starting to testify, they feel it. Mm-hmm. And again, just ask them another simple question. How are you feeling right now? And often they have to conclude or choose to conclude or want to conclude. Yeah, now I'm getting it. I'm feeling it right now. And that's when, again, a scriptural quote, both are edified and rejoice together. That's a beautiful example. Thanks, Keith. So let's go back to this idea of of asking questions. And maybe we can even just kind of illustrate um, through a story what it is we're talking about and how this works. So I remember being a youth, uh, maybe 12 or 13, and sitting in Sunday school class. And this is probably only one of the very few lessons that I even remember from my youth. But I remember it because um, of the feelings that I had during this this lesson. And um, so the lesson was on repentance. And the teacher was talking and lecturing, and we were just listening. And he was teaching us that each time that we sinned, we made a mark on the chalkboard. So he had this piece of chalk and he was tallying up all the sins that we had. So there was a list of four or five chalk marks on the chalkboard. And then he showed that when we repented, all of these sins were wiped away, just like the eraser could wipe away this chalk so that we can wipe away all these tally marks. And then he said, but if you go back and you sin again, if you make that same mistake again, all of these sins that were wiped away, all of them come back. And so now you've got all of those four or five marks that were just there, plus one more for the one that you just committed. And for what this just didn't sit well in my mind. And so I broke protocol and asked a question because nobody at that time ever asked questions. Um, and the teacher didn't quite know what to do. But I says, I says, I don't get that. I thought that once our sins were forgiven, they were remembered no more. Isn't there a scripture that says, you know, once we're forgiven, then I remember them no more? And he says, well, no, if you, you know, if you sin again, then it's as if you never repented to begin with. And while there's some truth to both sides of that argument, I mean, I understand now maybe where he was coming from at this point in my life. But in my young mind, I was left really confused and a little hopeless because I had a very hard time being perfect and never making a mistake again. And so in my mind, it was like, what's the point of repenting if all of my previous tally marks are going to come back and I'm going to be haunted by these chalk marks on the chalkboard that I can never get rid of because I can't be perfect and never not make a mistake again. Um, so, so Keith, let's take that same scenario. We're going to teach this lesson of repentance, but let's do it in a way that we're going to use those level three and those level four questions to kind of help me understand how I can think about repentance. Can we try that? Yeah, that that sounds really interesting. Um, So Leslie, let's talk a little about the principle of repentance. We all make mistakes. 
level two question or level two statement. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts as we go through uh, life making mistakes? When do you choose to uh, say, I want to change and repent? How does that look to you, Leslie? Well, when I know I've done something wrong and I feel bad about it, then I I want to, to make amends. I want to, to try to make it right. And so I found that, that I can, you know, I can repent for that, but Okay, so stop there. And, and, and as you repent for that, do you feel better as you've gone through the process of acknowledging it, feeling sorry for it, asking God for forgiveness, and not doing it for a period of time? How do you feel? Do you feel like you're, you're better and that that sin has kind of been removed, or does it still nag at you? No, I feel a lot better. It feels really good once I've acknowledged it and made a mis you know, that I've tried to take care of it. Okay. So, so you've got, in your world, confirmation that, that you can be forgiven, that there is a miracle of forgiveness. True? Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, so now let's fast forward a little bit. And uh, you're out with your girlfriends and you make a, uh, and you start talking and you, you do something and, and boom, you make the same dumb mistake again. How do you feel? I feel bad. I feel really bad. I think, gosh, I just, I'm working so hard on this and I just messed up again. How do you think, so let's just ask the question of, what do you think Jesus, how do you think Jesus would feel knowing that, about this? You think he's going to hate you because, because you made the mistake? No, I don't think he would hate me. I think that, I know that, I know that Jesus loves me. I know that he does. Um... But I feel really bad that I made that mistake again because it's something that I've been working on and I thought that I'd gotten over it and yet I still did it again. Mm -hmm. And so what are you going to do? Are you going to just try and get back on the horse and do it again? Try and go through the repentance process? Yeah, I will because it, it does make me feel better when I do that. That guilt piece is, and, and, and you can be forgiven once again. So what you're saying is that the Lord is merciful, Scripture. He loves us, scriptural, and he'll help us overcome, scriptural. So all of these things are scriptural, but the most important part of it, in my mind, Leslie, is as you feel that those good feelings as you repent, that's what you're searching for. And I'm going to fast forward to President Nelson guidance of just the last couple of years. And he's saying, hey, we should be repenting daily, and it should be a glorious experience. In my mind, using language from my world, it's because the miracle of forgiveness and that feeling to eliminate guilt and get peace to watch over, wash over us over and over again. Sometimes we make these mistakes many times, but the goal is to hopefully do it fewer and fewer times and feel better and better about the path that we're on. So, Keith, that, that was great. I, I, even going through that, I just noticed the, you know, thinking about the feelings for myself because what I remember from that time of being a youth was feeling really frustrated and really upset that, um, 
that these sins would be held over my head. That just didn't make sense to me. And yet I didn't know quite how to put that into words. But as you took me through that process of what does it feel like when you repent? Do you feel better? And yeah, I feel a lot better. So when you make that mistake again, are you just going to give up and not repent anymore? You know, that helped me see that that was a stupid thing to think that I couldn't um, feel better again just because I'd made a mistake again. Um, and then pointing out, you know, the scripture reference that God loves us and, and I knew that God loved me. And so you, you bring that in. I'm just like, well, yeah, of course he still loves me. Um, so, but, but because I was making those connections within my own mind, those feelings of uh, frustration about thinking that I couldn't be forgiven, um, it was myself proving to myself that those things, um, that, 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 that was true. Um, I don't think you could have persuaded me to, to believe something different, but you helped me see through my own experiences how I felt at those times and how that was backed up by scripture. Well, uh, that, I'm happy to hear that, but, and, and, and I love your point, which is just, hey, uh, if we can ask the right questions and get people to start thinking about their own feelings and processing their own feelings, and if they'll do it verbally in front of people, it's multi-times more powerful for the class listening to it and for that person that is bearing their soul. To me, it's nothing. Uh, it's a very simple story, which is, uh, just this last Sunday, I was listening to a talk and, and someone was quoting lots of imp- really impressive data. I suppose it was impressive. I was not really paying attention, but it was level two stories and information. And, and yeah, it's good. But I can read that stuff. In fact, most of it I had read many times, whether it was in the scriptures or in a conference talk. But then they pivoted and started telling a personal story. And my goodness, I, my, I, I woke up and listened and it was powerful. And I was connected, level three. And as I started thinking about how they were telling the story about their life, I was connecting it to my life and how it made sense. And afterwards I went up to them. I didn't ask them. I didn't say, hey, thanks for all that wonderful information you shared. But thank you for that story, that story about your life and about your son and how you wrestled with him to get him on a mission. That's where I really, really connected with you. So thank you. So that's, again, another example. I love it. That's a great example. So Keith, we need to kind of wrap up here. So tell us overall kind of what... You want, as a takeaway, what do you want us to remember as a takeaway from our discussion today? Um, It goes back to me, these level questions. Again, it's simple, easy to remember. Level one is acknowledgement. How are you? Good. Move on. Level two, data, facts, sharing, broad strokes, just information. And those are important, but should only be used quickly and and sparingly and as fast as you can get to a level three feeling question and a level four connecting question or connecting other people to me that's when life is a lot of fun 
and it's very rich and it's very spiritual because it's personal. And when, when you're personal and you're talking about spiritual things, the Lord can be guiding us and the Holy Ghost is felt. And so to me, that's, that's the message of, of, uh, that I'd love for people to, to get from this podcast. I love that. Thank you, Keith. I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about teaching tonight. We've talked a lot about just teaching um, classes or, or all. But I think this is the very same principles that we can use within our own homes, right? I mean, this idea of quickly getting past the informational part and really start connecting with our children and and what you know, it's neat to do it in a classroom, but it's even more powerful when I hear my children. Um, sharing experiences that they are having that are bringing them closer to Christ and helping them understand the gospel. To me, there is nothing more rewarding than being able to share those experiences with my own family. And so while we've kind of talked about this in regards of classes or uh, church-related, it's even more powerful within our own homes. Do you not agree with that? Uh, Yes, I do agree with that. And um, uh, it's sometimes more challenging because you know so much more about each other, especially as the kids get older. And so you've got to be very careful and and cautious and and make sure that you're asking the right questions, not accusatory, but letting them share their feelings. Sometimes we parents just want to pound information down our kids' throats. It's not the right way. There's a far better way to do it, and that's to let them feel it. Let them share those feelings, and and that's when life, it's way more fun anyway when that's happening. I wholeheartedly agree. All right, Keith, well, to wrap it up, let me just ask my favorite question. Why do you think the way that you teach matters? (laughs) Um, I think there are occasionally some people that when when you get it right and the spirit is felt they never forget it and i know that i uh there very often when i it happened just a week ago we were a couple came and spent a evening with us from minnesota and the wife her name is kristen smith she came up to me she purposely came up to me and said, Keith, I want you to know that you said something many years ago in a lesson. And at the point, I thought you were crazy. You said you, your statement was you loved the scriptures. And then you shared some thoughts of so why and said, I never, ever thought I would get to that point. But she came up to me and said, I, this was what I wanted to come up here to tell you is that I found that. And I want to thank you for pressing me to try and do that. Now, that has nothing to do with questions, Leslie, but it has everything to do with teaching. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just an affirmation. And I've heard it several other times where people have gone out of their way and, and thanked me for a lesson where that was what happened, is where they felt the Spirit and it changed the trajectory of their life in some ways, that's what these lessons do. That's what a good lesson can do is 
change a trajectory of some of these people's lives if it hits at the right time and the Spirit guides them. That's exactly what happened with Peter when Jesus asked the right question. Peter moved from, from where he was on a whole different level and, uh, and did amazing things. Keith, thank you so much. This has been edifying for me, and I hope that those who listen find it as enjoyable as I have. Appreciate your time and being with us and taking the time to uh, share your thoughts on levels of questions. So thank you, Keith. Everybody, we'll see you next week. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about preparing your own perfect lesson, download our perfect lesson plan template from our website at myteachingmatters.com.